We are starting a new series this morning, a new sermon series on the book of Galatians. So I invite you to open up to the book of Galatians. And as you're turning there, I want you to picture going on a walk in the woods. Not this time of year, it's nice out. We'll say it's, it's nicer out when you're going on this walk. Sunshine, warm breeze, can you picture it? You want to picture it, don't you? Try hard. You're out on this walk, just enjoying the beauty of the day. When suddenly the ground beneath you begins to shake. The the firm ground that you had just been walking on is, is beginning to tremble. Something has happened, maybe some groundwater, a water main, I don't know. But something has happened and all of a sudden the, the dirt path that you're standing on turns to a deep pit of mud and you are sinking. As you're there in this pit of mud struggling, you realize you need to be rescued. That you cannot of your own power get out of the pit that you find yourself in. Fortunately, at that time, someone comes along. It's a woman dressed very nicely, very business-like, or maybe in a a science lab coat. We'll go with that. She comes along, because that's how you, you know, go for a walk in the woods. And you you call out, ma'am, please, can you help? And she looks at your predicament and says, ah, I have the perfect thing for you. I've just come from my lab where we have scientifically engineered the world's strongest rope. This is the best rope ever made. It is absolutely perfect. It is the size of a a strand of, of just a spider's web, and yet it can hold up 100 elephants. In the back of your mind, you're slightly offended that she thinks that's what it would take to get you out, but you let that go because of the situation. You say, that's, that's wonderful. Could you please toss me one end of the rope? She says, absolutely. She tosses you the end of the rope and you grab onto it. And she says, you'll be fine now. You've got the best rope ever. I have to go. I'm very busy. And she takes off. Well, you begin to pull the rope. Pull it, pull it, pull it. It's very nice and sturdy and strong. It's wonderful. It's great. Scientific marvel. But as you pull and pull and pull, you get to the other end of the rope. She failed to tie it on anything. It wasn't attached to anything that could get you out of the mud pit. You're so frustrated and flustered at this point, but then a logical thought pops into your head, at least I have a rope, I can get myself out, and then you realize in your frustration, you dropped it. And it has sunk into the mud. So as you're there again wondering what you can do, another person comes along, a young man, Dressed very casually, just enjoying the day. He's out in nature, enjoying himself. And he comes along and you you cry out again. You say, sir, can you help me? He says, yeah, man, absolutely. I've got the best rope ever. Man, this rope is just beautiful. It is so wonderful and just warm and fuzzy and sweet. And everybody that uses it just... Just they're so happy. It's the most happy rope in the entire world. You will have so much joy and you're thinking, I just want to get out of the mud. But of course, you don't say anything because he's the man with the rope. 
So he says, yeah, man, I'll throw it to you. And so he tosses you one end of the rope and you quick thinking, you, you say, what? make sure you tie the other end to a tree. He's like, absolutely. He said, and could you just wait, you know, until I get out? Sure. He throws you the rope and sure enough, it's, it's beautiful. It's kind of pink and fluffy and little strands of yellow running through it. It feels really good in your hand. It's just, it's a joy. It makes you happy. Even in the midst of the mud, there's just this happy feeling that comes over you. And you think, what a beautiful rope. But after a, a little while, as you're holding it, you realize it's beginning to dissolve. And your hands are getting kind of sticky. And you think, what, what is this? And so you, you take one of your hands and you, you kind of lick it a little bit. And you go, it's, it's just cotton candy. The rope was made out of cotton candy. That's fairy floss for our South African friends, I believe. Did I get that right? Right? Yeah, okay. Now, in the time it takes you to realize this, you look up and realize the rope is gone. It's just dissolved. The whole thing is completely gone. And you, you call out to him and say, that didn't work. And he's like, man, what, what do you mean? That's what makes me happy. I need another rope. He's like, That's harsh. Why are you judging my rope? This is what... And he just gets indignant and mad. And he just storms off because he can't believe that you have offended his rope that has made him so happy. We need to be rescued. And the important point throughout the book of Galatians is that not just any rescue will do. It's important to seek a true rescue, something real, solid, that can truly get us out of the struggle and the predicament that we are in. Which brings us to the sermon series. I've called this series The Rescue, the Gospel of Grace in Galatians. The Rescue. What is the rescue that Jesus Christ has provided for us? And why is it so important to hold on to that rescue and to not allow anything to come in and to change what it is that we are holding on to? And so this morning, I want to give a brief overview of Galatians and the sermon series and how we'll be tackling this very important book. And then I want to look at just the first five verses where Paul really sets up the tone of this this letter that he is writing. So let's look at the rescue. What is the rescue that is going on that's being referred to here? He uses that phrase in verse uh, 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us, the NIV has, or to deliver us, if you have a different translation. But the meaning is very similar. What is this rescue? To understand this, we need to know a little bit of background. Whenever you study a a book of the Bible, it's, it's good to have a little bit of background at least. The letter to the Galatians, and this is indeed a letter written by Paul, it was probably one of the first New Testament books to be written. Now, what happens in Galatians is not one of the first things to happen. The Gospels obviously took place. Jesus has come, born in the manger, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. That's already happened, but the Gospels hadn't been written yet. The disciples, frankly, were too busy going around and preaching and sharing the stories verbally, and it wasn't until later they would sit down and write it out and begin distributing those copies. And so, scholars believe that Galatians is probably the first of the New Testament books to actually be written down. 
as with any book of the Bible, there's a little bit of debate as to when exactly it took place. But there's something important that happens in the book of Acts where a group of people meet to discuss the very topic that's going to come up in Galatians. Does the Old Testament law still apply to Christians? Now that might seem very academic and far removed from us, but we'll see why it's important for us to look at that topic and other topics like it through this book. It appears that Paul probably wrote the book of Galatians before that meeting in Jerusalem. That would be my take, uh, just based on the tone of the letter and some things he mentions and doesn't mention, but it's not incredibly crucial to nail that down. The author is Paul. It's Ironically, it's one of the least uh, argued over letters in terms of who wrote it. People accept that it is Paul. At the end of the letter, if you turn to the end of Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul takes over. Often when uh, New Testament people, Roman people, when they would write a letter, they would use a secretary known as, and I always mispronounce this, amenuensis. I think that's correctly pronounced. It was a secretary, somebody they would dictate the letter to and they would write it. And Paul often, and many people often, at the end, they would take the pen and they would write their own greeting at the end. And that's what we have here at the end of chapter 6, where Paul says, verse 11, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. He says, this is me. Understand, this is me, Paul, the apostle. So he writes this letter, which is very interesting. Because Paul was a former Pharisee. We'll talk about that in a minute. Was a teacher of the Jewish law. He persecuted those who followed Jesus Christ. And then he's confronted with and meets Jesus Christ after his resurrection. And Christ has some important words to say to him as he sends him to preach to the Gentiles. And so that's the Apostle Paul that we're talking about. We'll look at how that happened in a moment. But that's him, Paul, an apostle. Apostle means one who is sent on a mission or sent with a message. And throughout the book, this idea of where did Paul's apostleship come from will come up again and again. Did he send himself? Was he just sent out by a bunch of people? Or, as Paul will argue, it is Jesus Christ himself who has sent him with this message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul would travel. And one of the early regions he went through was called Galatia. Galatia is not a city like Philippi. It's more of a region, a province, an area. And Paul went through and preached at many different churches and people came to know Jesus as their Savior. But then something happened, as it often did where Paul traveled. Other teachers would come in and say, yeah, that's that's good. What Paul taught, that's, that's good stuff. But now let's... Let us tell you the rest of it. And they would begin to teach them the importance of going back to their Jewish roots, going back to the Old Testament law, keeping special meals and special holidays. It's good, believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. There are other things you need to do to be made righteous or to be saved. And Paul would have none of this. He calls it in this book a different gospel. Verses 6 and 7 which is no gospel at all. He says, people understand this is no small thing that they are doing. It is not a minor addition to my preaching. It is something that is coming in and destroying the rope that you are holding on to, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes Galatians to explain the true gospel. 
and to strongly warn the Galatians. And, and the tone in the book of Galatians is very stern and very strict. To warn them and everyone, us today still, about the danger of turning to some other gospel that is no gospel at all. Thinking there is something else that will rescue us. And it absolutely cannot. As I said, he has some very strong words. I'll just point out a few of them. In verse 6, he uses the phrase, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's, He's writing to them saying, guys, I don't get it. What's going on with you? How could you possibly do this? In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says that anyone who preaches this other gospel, a different gospel, should be cursed, should be cut off from the people of God's, of God's people. In chapter 3, verse 1, he calls the readers, you foolish Galatians. How's that for a, a sermon? You bunch of fools. What are you doing? Now, I have to say, as a parent, I feel that way sometimes. As a pastor, there's times I feel that way. As people, there's probably times you look at me and you feel that way. That's okay. But there's a time for somebody to just grab us and say, you're being foolish. Do you understand the road that you're going down? He goes on even stronger. Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I fear for you, the Galatians, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You hear the sternness and the tone of the Apostle Paul. This is a big deal. The thing that he is writing about in the book of Galatians is a big deal. So why is he so concerned and upset with the Galatians? We're going to answer that question throughout the series. But as we walk through this book, we're going to look at this from three different angles in this series. Three different ways to look at this. The first is to answer the question, what is the gospel? If we're going to be able to weigh some other gospel, some other truth that maybe is being pushed on us by ourselves, our ideas, other churches, the culture, even somebody that might come up here and preach. If we're going to be able to weigh what is the true gospel and what are other gospels that are no gospels at all, we need to know what the true one is. And so Paul, throughout the book, often points to this is the true gospel. Understand it. Know it. Trust it. Do not accept anything else. This gospel is something we cannot earn. It was something that was planned and put into motion by God. It is given only through God's grace. And it is accomplished completely because of what Christ did through the cross. And the resurrection. We have nothing to add to the gospel of grace. Second, so the first is, Paul holds up, this is the true gospel. And we're going to look at that throughout the series. The second thing, and this is probably the hardest part of the book of Galatians. What specifically were the Galatians turning to instead of the true gospel? And the thing that they were turning to was a desire to go back to the Old Testament law. And here's where things get tough for us. Because many of us wake up, go about our our day-to-day lives, and feel any sort of a pressure to go back to the ritual laws of the Old Testament. I, I doubt that you feel that stress in your life. They did. 
It was a constant source of pressure. The Jewish community was really big. Some of them had come to know Christ as their Savior, but were still holding on to this works-based righteousness. Some hadn't accepted Christ and were persecuting the Christians. And it was an ongoing dilemma in the early church. The concept, as we know it today, is often termed legalism. And I am saved, I'm made right with God by following a set of rules. For them, it was the Old Testament law. We like to make up our own rules and laws today. Paul warns that any rely on our own actions to save us is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any thinking that we will clean ourselves up, make ourselves right with God, that it is based on what we do, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. We have nothing in our own righteousness, in our own sinfulness. We have nothing to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through this, we'll have to pick apart this very cultural issue that was going on there, their their pull to return to the Old Testament law. But we'll also look at how does this apply to us. The other important theme along with that is why? Why were they tempted? Why were they feeling pressure to go back to this Old Testament law? And it was because there was a pressure in their culture to change what they believe. Now there's something I think we can begin to truly understand. There was a pressure in their culture to change what they believed. The interesting thing in the book of Galatians is that this pressure was coming from those who would have called themselves Christian. And they were damaging and distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's critics, ironically, are accusing Paul of the very thing that they're doing. They're accusing Paul of trying to make people happy by preaching this gospel of grace. And he calls this out in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, I don't preach what I preach to keep people happy. I preach it because it's the truth. And if it makes people happy, great. If it makes them hate me, that's fine too. It's the truth, and that's what I'm going to proclaim. As I said, the irony is that what the false teachers are accusing Paul of is exactly what they are doing. They are putting pressure on the Galatians to fit in, to conform to their standard. They're saying they are right, and anyone who disagrees with them is wrong. That the Christians have to, yes, believe in Jesus, but also follow this Old Testament law. Following the Jewish law at this time was acceptable. It was socially acceptable. The Jewish religion was recognized in the Roman world. And yes, the Jews were persecuted, but it appeared these Christians were in a situation and a setting where the Jewish culture had a pretty strong uh, uh, grasp or root there in the culture and was putting pressure back on the church. You need to fit in with us. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we'll see Paul talks about how he even had to confront Peter. It says he confronted him to his face, saying, Peter, you're wrong. 
Peter used, at one time he stood for the gospel that God accepts all men on the basis of Jesus Christ, but then a time comes, these other teachers come in and pulls back from eating with the outsiders, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And Paul had to confront him and say, Peter, you are out of line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said, this return to the Jewish law is, is somewhat foreign to us. And my fear is, as you look at the book of Galatians on your own, and you should, but my fear is you'll read it and just say, well, okay, that's interesting, but it's not really what I'm struggling with. It's not really something I face. Which brings me to the third way that we're going to look at this. How do we face similar issues? I have never in my life that I can think of Had anyone come up and confront me with my need to obey the Old Testament law, to go back to a sacrificial system, to eat kosher, or anything like that? I've never struggled with that or had anybody put pressure on me. But I truly believe we are under constant pressure to change and distort the gospel of truth to fit into our culture. And it is a real danger in the world today that I believe Christians are giving in to that pressure to keep people happy, to win their approval. And I want us to look at how are we pressured, how have we given in, in big and small ways, to that pressure, and how do we even do it to ourselves? How do we put pressure on ourselves to change and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ? The book of Galatians will give us a way, a method to evaluate those thoughts and those pressures on us to make sure we are holding to the true gospel of grace. And so now I want to dig into the text itself. Where is the gospel proclaimed? How did Paul go about proclaiming this gospel? As we look at verses 1 through 5, so if you have not done so yet, I encourage you to turn to the beginning of the book of Galatians. And let me read for us just verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Let's stop there. Paul's mission was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clearly, plainly, and to do whatever it took to go into some very difficult circumstances, places where his life was at risk, and yet he went to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle, and his apostleship, the one who sent him, the the message that he carries is not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now again, if you're familiar with the New Testament and the openings of Paul's letters, this might not seem like a big deal, but right away Paul is setting the tone for this letter. He is jumping immediately in his first sentence into an argument. Right off the bat, he is getting into an argument. He says, I am an apostle, and then right away he has to clarify, I was not sent by a man or by men. I am sent by Jesus Christ. Because that was one of the things people were accusing him of. Paul, you've made this up. This is just your message. People need to come back to our message. 
And he says, no. I want us to look at this briefly. If you would, hang a left in your Bible and go back to Acts chapter 9. Because I think it helps to get to know the Apostle Paul and where this starts for him to truly understand his passion and his mission here in the book of Galatians. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Actually, just verse 1 here. Oh, sorry, that's Galatians. Chapter 9 of Acts, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still, Saul was his Jewish name, also known as Paul in the Greek. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was how they referred to Christians, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this is Paul, called Saul at this time. He was a Pharisee. Maybe a Pharisee in training, kind of an up-and-coming leader in the Jewish community. He had an absolute passion for the Old Testament law. For teaching people, you need to make yourself righteous. You need to follow this list of commands. You need to fix yourself up. And as a Pharisee, they had this thought that if the Jewish people would so purify themselves of anything that was out of line with God's law, if they could make themselves righteous enough, the Messiah would come. And so they had a passion for cleaning up God's people. It was a good idea, but it had gone very wrong. And so Paul would travel He would go from community to community to find these Christians. These people that were preaching that, that you should believe in this guy that the Roman officials and the Jewish officials had put to death. This criminal who was not the Messiah in his mind. And in his mind, these people were distorting God's people. They were undermining what God was teaching. You hear the themes there? And he was so passionate about this that he would find Christians, have them arrested, and put them on trial. We even see him in another place in Acts, present at the stoning of Stephen, where Stephen was put to death for believing in Jesus Christ. But something changes on this day. Paul is traveling, chapter 9, verse 5 of Acts. Jesus Christ appears to Paul. And and Paul, again, called Saul here, says, Who are you, Lord? And this man replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul's entire foundation for what he believes shifts at this point. You see, as a Pharisee, he believed something very strongly. He believed that God would raise the righteous from the dead. He equally believed, as a Jewish scholar, Jesus was completely unrighteous. Now he is confronted with Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and his mind is blown. Because if Jesus was risen from the dead, then everything Jesus said was from God. And everything Jesus did was to fulfill God's plan, and he is on the wrong team. And everything changes for Paul at this moment. It's interesting because Paul's not what we would call a seeker here. Paul's not doubting what he believes and questioning. I don't know if I really want to be 
Jewish anymore and follow the Old Testament law. I'm kind of just seeking something. No, he is absolutely set. I'm right. Everything else is wrong. And then Jesus shows up and, and Paul's like, I'm wrong and, and he's right. And everything changed for him. But Jesus wasn't done with the world-changing news for Paul just, right, uh, just yet. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, a little later on, Jesus talks to a man named Ananias and he's going to have a message for Paul through Ananias. It says in chapter 9, verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So, so Paul, you who are so zealous for the Jewish community and for, for restoring the nation of Israel, I'm sending you outside of the Jewish community. I'm sending you away from the nation of Israel. You've got to go talk to those pagan heathen people that you hate. That's who I'm sending you to. God has a sense of humor. But more than that, Paul was uniquely qualified for this. God had been preparing him for this his whole life, and Paul didn't even know it. And so as we go back to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, when Paul says, I am an apostle sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ, that's what he's referring to. He says, guys, I didn't decide to do this. Jesus chose me, and I'm sent by him. He is sent with the very authority of Jesus Christ. This is why any change to the gospel that Paul is preaching is a massive problem. Paul had given his life to this. Jesus himself had commissioned Paul to go and preach the message that Paul is preaching. And now other people are coming in and saying, yeah, but... And Paul's saying, you can't change the words of Christ. You can't change the work of Christ. Who do you think you are? It's not just another gospel. It is no gospel at all. So what was this rescue that Paul proclaimed? What is this gospel that he is preaching? And that's where we look at verses 3 through 5. The rescue accomplished. If we go back to Galatians chapter 1. To the churches in Galatia, chapter or verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off with this idea of grace and peace to you. Very common intro to a letter, and yet I think it has extra weight in the book of Galatians. Because so much of Galatians is about salvation through grace and the peace that can only come from that salvation. And then he goes on, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, again, so common as, as Christians, so easy, hopefully, to roll off our tongues, and yet to look at and understand what Paul was writing to these people. Jesus is not just some guy. He's not just a good teacher. He says, God the Father, absolutely. His audience would have been amening that one. Amen. God the Father. And the Lord, that equates Jesus with God right there, which was so offensive to the Jewish community. The Lord, Jesus, Christ. You have the deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, and the messianic work of Christ in three words right there at the beginning of Galatians. Paul is putting his flag down and saying, this is the truth upon which I stand. 
and the rest of the book will hang on those words. It goes on in verse 4 to talk about the work of Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Here we have the rescue. We need to be rescued. We are the people stuck in the pit and sinking down. We are the ones, everyone, is unable to rescue themselves. We are unable to fabricate anything that will get us out of the pit that we are in. We need a rescuing from our own sin. Our own brokenness in our relationship between us and God. But Paul takes it another step. We also see the need to be rescued from this present evil age. We like to complain, don't we? about the state of our world, how bad it's gotten. Here, 2,000 years ago, Paul calls that a present evil age. This is not about contemporary events when Paul talks about that. He's not talking about, man, the Romans are really bad and that emperor, I can't believe what he's doing and all this stuff going on in policy. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, no, 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 that's way too small. Those are just outcomes, symptoms, Effects. The root cause is that we live in a world that is stuck in the pit of mud. We are lost in sin. The entire world is lost in sin. And we get very busy trying to recreate our world and make something that we can grab onto in our little mud pit. We try to make things that keep us happy in our mud pit but we are still lost and in need of rescue. The ideas of this world won't do. They're not good enough. They're not strong enough. We cannot rescue ourselves. And so Paul writes that Jesus gave himself. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. There's a profound irony here. Because the system that these false teachers were were trying to get people to go back to believed that it was through an animal that died in their place. That, That through that ongoing sacrifice, they could be made righteous enough and then they had to hold on to the law. And And Paul says, Jesus is the one who gave himself. The perfect sacrifice once and for all. All of those other sacrifices, all of the Old Testament law, all of it pointed to Jesus who did it perfectly. The gospel is completely based on what Christ has done for us. He gave himself. He died for our sins. He is the perfect sacrifice. In him, our salvation is not just started. It is finished. There is nothing we can add to what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. This gospel, as Paul writes, is according to the will of our God and Father. Paul's not making this up. This is not some plan B of God. It's not some newfangled thing that's being preached at this time. It is the will of God and Father. Paul is preaching the very will of God. Planned by God. Carried out by God. 
And as the final phrase in verse 5 says, it is to God's glory, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the rescue. Jesus Christ gave himself in our place on the cross. He did it for us. Through him we are saved and made righteous. We cannot rescue ourselves. This is why Paul gets upset in the letter at people who are changing the gospel. They're undermining the very will of God. They're diminishing the work of Jesus Christ and ultimately destroying the very thing that rescues people from their sins. An altered gospel that adds anything to the work of Jesus Christ is no gospel at all. And so throughout the letter, we'll see Paul again and again hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Explain why there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And we'll be challenged to look at ways that we are still distorting and changing the gospel today. Some of us today want to grab onto things that, that seem so reasonable, so rational, so, so logical, maybe so modern. I've got this all figured out. That's my rope. I've got it. It'll save me and we realize that all the logic of humanity is tied to nothing on the other end. It's great for what it is, but it cannot save us. Others spend their lives and their time grasping at things to keep them happy, to make them feel good, to give them that warm, fuzzy, happy feeling. I just want to feel good. And our world offers all sorts of options for that. And you get a hold of it, and you think it's wonderful, only to find out it just dissolved away in your hands, and you've got to seek something more. The way the rescue comes matters. Only something real and substantial with a firm anchor in truth can save us. Only the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We must not allow pressure from our culture to change the gospel. We must not allow pressure from our own traditions to change the gospel. We must not allow any pressure from our own ways of thinking to change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the rescue that we all need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this book together. May we hear these stern words of Paul, the challenge that he is issuing to these people in Galatia. And may we be challenged. May we not just walk through this as an academic exercise saying, isn't it interesting what he wrote to them and what they were dealing with, but, or, but God, challenge us. May we see ways that we are changing, distorting, undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be aware of the pressures that we face to do this and ways we're giving in without even realizing it. So that through it all, we would truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that rescues us and that we would truly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need to be rescued. And Father, I pray this morning 
somehow, some way, the, the words that we are speaking today, the, the word that we are reading today, your word about Jesus Christ, if anyone is here stuck in the mud in their own life, may your truth break through, be the firm rope that reaches to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, plucks them out of their sin and death, and sets their feet back on your path, saved by Jesus Christ and Christ alone. In whose name we pray. Amen.